What's up? And welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojek and Luke Smith. I hope all of you enjoyed the holiday weekend, and hopefully by the time we release this episode, your hangovers will have passed. Smith, how are you feeling? Honestly, I feel pretty good. Um, you know, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, or maybe it's the Delta variant of COVID. I'm not really sure, even though I'm vaccinated, but uh, but I feel all right. And uh, yeah, uh, ready to, now that we're past the holidays, get into to the home stretch leading up to the season here. All right, so Luke is back better than ever. We're just a little over eight weeks away from Notre Dame's season opener against Florida State, but we're going to spend a good chunk of today's episode looking toward the future as we discuss a very impactful month of June in Notre Dame recruiting with our guy Mike Singer from blueandgold.com. We'll also talk to Mike about the groundbreaking shift in NCAA policy regarding name, image, and likeness, or NIL for short. Since the policy came into effect on July 1st, college athletes in all states are now able to receive compensation for their names, images, and likenesses. So, This basically includes sponsorships, endorsements, camps, autograph signings, and a whole lot more. So we'll get into what all that means, how it impacts Notre Dame. And for those interested, we are currently, you know, evaluating options as to how this might impact our relationship with MDT, Micah Do Tedway. So uh, heads up for that one. Yeah, if you're listening to this, Micah, we do intend to sponsor you. Former Minnesota captain, seventh-year senior. That's true. One of the only seventh-year seniors. Who was the other one from Notre Dame? Uh... Oh, it was um, Elijah Taylor, I think. Elijah Taylor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Molar product. All right. So, yeah. So, we'll get into all that. And like I said, a whole lot of recruiting talk. So, let's jump right into it. All right. We're joined now by Mike Singer of blueandgold.com. Mike is the clubhouse leader in guest appearances on this podcast. We're always happy to have him on, but especially happy this week, coming off one of the busiest months of recruiting in quite some time. Plus, the NCAA drastically changed its policies regarding compensation for student-athletes. And this all went down a span of like four to five weeks. So how are you holding up, man? I'm good. Uh, July has been calm so far. So like yesterday, I got my work done by 4 p.m., which that hadn't been the case in like six months. So <laughs> um, I'm, I'm smooth sailing at this point, man. We're all good. I hear you there. Um, I guess where I'll start this conversation is as it pertains to name, image, and likeness. You know, now that players can profit off their name, image, and likeness, how do you think, or will it, will it affect parity in college football over the course of the next decade at all? I want to start by saying, when it comes to NIL, I really don't think anyone knows. Like when the NCAA said that last day of June, like everyone was waiting to see what the NCAA was going to say about this. They waited until literally the last day they could. And I mean, the, what they basically put out was you're on your own schools. Like you figure it out. Like they didn't really give these guys uh, at the universities any direction. So I, I really think that to, to, again, to start the, the answer when it comes to NIL, um, unless you're like really involved, like you are on the NCAA side of things or you like work for one of these schools. Like if you're a media guy and you think you've got the whole, the whole NIL thing figured out, like um, call bull crap on you. Like so that that's definitely uh, my first um, thing to say. And what was the question? <laughs> I forget. I just I just knew I wanted to say that. But what was the well, question? First of all, I'm glad that we all agree that we don't know anything about it and how it's going to impact things. But, you know, if you did have to guess, do you think it'll have any impact on parity? Oh, parity. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I think that the rich get richer. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say is the schools aren't allowed to 
like make NIL deals. So US, like if he could get a kid goes to USC, like USC can't like call up. Um, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up like a, a, you know, Hollywood studios or something and be like, Hey, like, can you put this kid in your movie? Like, you know, so that kind of thing can't happen. That's actually a pretty good idea. I probably just gave, <laughs> um, you know, some people some idea with that, but I'm sure they're all listening to Sunset Saturday Irish there in LA. Um, but <laughs> Yeah. So like, so so that's one thing, but I mean, you think about boosters at some of these schools, like, can they get involved or indirectly get involved? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I absolutely think that the rich get richer with this. Um, Now, how does this tie in with a potential 12 team playoff? Does, you know, does NIL and that make the parody even, you know, I don't know that that, that's pretty much my answer with a lot of this NIL stuff is I don't know, but I do think that, you know, Alabama's and Ohio State's and Clemson's and Notre Dame's of the world, I, I think that they are stronger with this stuff because they're big platform. Yeah, personally, I don't think it's going to do much at all at the beginning. Maybe the rich will get richer because um, they have all the resources. But like at the beginning, the big schools will offer or the boosters at the big schools will offer the biggest endorsement deals and they'll continue to get to top recruits just like they have been over the, the past decade. But I think potentially in time, as big name players at small schools start to rake in a lot of money, I think then like future prospects might look at it a little bit differently. And then, like you said, with the 12-team playoff, that could impact things a little bit more. But like you said, a, a lot of this we don't even really know. It's hard to gauge. And it seems like considering the rule book is so fluid and they're just going to try to figure it out as they go, it's hard to predict pretty much anything. Well, let me add this, Tyler. Listen, I'm thinking about a school like North Dakota State. In that state, that's probably it, right? Like, right. it's North Dakota State football. Like in Iowa, Iowa State. Like in in some of these states, what they have is college football. So, I mean, there's wealthy people in those states too. Like, you know, big car dealerships or whatever it is in North Dakota State that could. Um, really profit these kids as well. So no, that's definitely a good point. I mean, small town USA still has money. Um, and, and so there, there, there's certainly something to that there. Yeah. And I mean, I even saw something the other day and this was about the most Miami thing ever, I thought, but I saw, you, know, yeah. you, you don't put Miami in the same sentence, obviously, as the schools you mentioned right now, at least with Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, etc. But I think it was some MMA gym owner was offering a, a $500 monthly contract to the entire roster. I think he called the campaign something like bring back the U or something too. And so it's, it is funny to see kind of how those sort of, I guess, just geographical demographics uh, might play out with some of these deals and, and see if they end up having an impact. But at least initially, I, I think I agree with you. Just the rich are going to get richer and, and the big boys are going to keep, keep profiting from this. I, I would also add, I like a lot of people are saying this is going to change college football forever, which I, I agree with, but like, to what extent, like, is it, is this now um, completely the wild, wild West and, Um, you know, little guy has no chance in the world. And like, I don't know. I I think that it's going to become normal. I think during the football season, like the, like if you're out there, like let's say Kyle Hamilton is focused and I'm just, the first guy I thought of, if he's focused more on NIL stuff than preparing for Florida state, like I'm a Notre Dame coach. I am on his ass. Like, and I would bench him. Like if he's, 
taking away from preparation and um, being a better teammate and student. And he's focused on making money on NIL. And again, I just, Kyle Hamlin was the first example to pop my head. You, you insert any player name there, you know, so I think during the season, like it's not going to be a super big deal. Um, but again, NIL, who knows? Yeah. I thought about that. I was curious if, if a Harry, he stand was still around now he would react to some of this stuff. Like he just saw the Notre Dame offensive line getting sponsored by mission barbecue, but just kind of what he would do in practice on a daily basis to keep all those guys grounded. I'm sure it would be interesting. It does seem pretty evident to me though, that the Notre Dame staff and administration are welcoming the new NIL rules. I mean, in February, Jack Swarbrick said Notre Dame wouldn't participate in the EA Sports NCAA football video game series unless players were able to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Plus, you know, the billboard campaign they put on across the country back in May showed a willingness to market individual players and their brands. So, Mike, from what you've gathered, whether it be from talking to recruits or or current players, what insight do you have into Notre Dame's approach to this new policy? I'll give you a couple things. One, on the recruiting side, um, Notre Dame staff, media communication folks are doing presentations when these recruits are on visits. Before um, visits were able to happen, uh, which is June was the first month that, that was able to take place, they would do these Zoom calls with the recruits. And it was really about branding uh, because at that point, again, Notre Dame didn't know what the NIL stuff was going to look like. So all they could do in these presentations to get out ahead of it is tell all these recruits what Notre Dame can do how big of a national international brand really it is. Um, So that was definitely a big thing that Notre Dame was presenting to the kids. And the other thing I mentioned that uh, that last day of June is when the NCAA put out its interim policy, right? You know, I talked to some, to some sources, you know, inside the campus really and Notre Dame, didn't like know exactly what they were going to do for NIL because they were waiting on the NCAA. So they're kind of coming up with exactly what this looks like for their student athletes. Like now, like these are conversations that are happening inside those offices. So like, there's so many different things that, that we could talk about here. Like can sons of Saturday Irish um, have, you know, paid Jack Cohn or whatever player to, to come on your podcast after so-and-so game or, or, or whatever, like um, w- what does all this stuff look like? Like those are like nitty gritty logistical things. What does this stuff look like? That's what Notre Dame is figuring out right now. Um, Cause they didn't, you would think Notre Dame and all the resources they have would already have figured out their exact game plan. But again, they just did not know what the NCAA was going to do. And they found out the last day of June and now they're kind of coming up with a plan. So even though, like you said earlier, um, a school can't facilitate a deal, but could they assist with it? Like, okay, Kyle Hamilton has this deal. They're going to teach him, hey, now you have to fill out this 1099 form. And can they sort of help them and assist the players like in, in that regard? I believe so. I, I do think that, yeah, like they're going to say, so let's say if that example does happen, like you guys are able to score a deal with Jack Cohn and he's going to come on. You guys are going to do like a Sunday show or something like that. It's a that. great idea, Mike. Don't steal, <laughs> damn it, don't steal my idea. <laughs> Thanks for that. Don't call it Sunday night quarterback or Sunday morning quarterback. Don't, you know, don't do that. Uh, let me write that uh, down. <laughs> but, you know, they're basically going to say like, here are some do's, here are some don'ts. Like, like that Kyle Hamilton podcast, I think it's KJ Wallace, a couple other mm-hmm. Notre Dame players. Like, I don't think they're re- like they're able to profit off of that, but 
I don't think Notre Dame is go- would be very happy if they're going to go on and, and on their podcast and be like, man, Drew Pine stunk at practice today. Or, man, did you see that 60-yard bomb Drew Pine threw? You know, like, man, I think he should start over Jack Cohn. Like, that stuff can't fly. And it wouldn't – like, I, they wouldn't be happy with it, you know, if Jack Cohn came on here and said, man, Tommy Reese – called a terrible game or something like that. So that's going to be another interesting to it um, is, um, you know, Kyle Hamilton's cameos. Like you can't wear Notre Dame gear and, and um, promote, like it, it's got to be separate. It's like a separation of church and state, right? That's kind of how it is with NIL, at least my understanding. Which I'm not very, um, uh, I wouldn't say I'm the most expert on NIL. I'm kind of learning this stuff as, as you guys do, but um, yeah. So the, like I, I'm pretty sure like they can't it, it, there's a separation there so um like I'll fill you guys in on something um we're trying to score a deal with Kyle Hamilton at blue and gold because he's on the cover of our um, football preview summer football preview so we're trying to score again a deal where he's gonna promote the football preview um and do a video on it and tweet about it um but can we do it on Notre Dame's campus? Can he do it in front of touchdown Jesus? Like, I don't know. Like, cause yeah, it, it's, it's on Notre Dame. So there are a lot of different things with NIL that we're kind of learning as we go. Yeah. And it probably seems like nobody really has the answers to it because there's just nothing that's been established <laughs> yet. So right. that's interesting. Um, you, you bring that up though. And, and, you know, obviously we've seen the floodgates kind of open since July 1st with a bunch of college athletes, announcing new endorsement deals on social media. Um, So let's pretend this was always the case. And if we were to look back on the past 25 years, we're all going to do this. Which Notre Dame players would have made the most money during their time in college? I'm going to go start. Yeah. I'm going to go first because my picks might be terrible. They might be great, but I'm just going to go first. I'm a big quarterback guy. So I really think the most value is in the quarterbacks. I would say, and when you think about the past 25 years or so, there's some big name quarterbacks in there for Notre Dame. I would say Brady Quinn has got to be in my three. I'm going to put Jimmy Clausen in there. I mean, those were big time recruits um, when they were in college football and even in the NFL too. But I mean, they were faces of college football during their time. And then the third guy, Manti Teo, I think makes a lot of sense. Heisen finalist. So that's my three. I'm going to add a, just an honorable mention of Ian Book. When you think about Ian Book, I mean, there wasn't social media back when those guys were playing, I guess, you know, at the their end of my time. Space. Yeah. Yeah, it's not what it is today. I mean, you think about Ian Book, I mean, say what you want about his performances and, you know, how, how he wasn't good enough to beat Alabama's and, and all that stuff. But for NIL purposes, that's a big name dude, multi-year starter at quarterback, I mean, I think you can make an argument, and and this is coming from me who's covered Notre Dame for just a couple years of blue and gold, didn't grow up a diehard Notre Dame fan. Like, I'm, you know, learning as as much as I can on the fly here, but I mean, I feel like for branding purposes, you know, I I think Ian Book might might be up there with those two quarterbacks. I I didn't put them in, I didn't put him in the top three, um, but I think he's definitely worth an honorable mention. I would say... One Manti Teo for sure. I've never seen a student body or like the entire campus rally around like one specific player. I mean, on a senior day, literally every single student there and even some of the people who weren't students were all wearing the Lays. Um, The Heisman campaign, obviously looking back in retrospect, it didn't turn out 
the greatest, but also the hype that he had coming in that was like an unbelievable recruit. He was like top three. So I'd put him at one, Brady Quinn at two for the obvious reasons, quarterback. He was awesome. He was sort of like revitalizing the Notre Dame team at a time when they had been dormant for years. And then I'm going to throw in Golden Tate because of his name. I think like there was just so much to work with there. And he, even though the teams weren't that great at the time, he was an incredible player. He's had a very successful NFL career and um, he's shown his marketability in the NFL a lot. And I think that would have started in college. And plus the teams kind of sucked. So maybe he could have just shifted his focus to just making money. He was a celebrity and then went six and six. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Um, I like that. I, I have a little bit of overlap with, uh, with Mike here, but I'm going to start off at the top with Jalen Smith uh, because he just had a lot of savvy to him. Um, he, I think as soon as he graduated, he came out with his own merchandise of him doing his signature uh, swoop pose, which she would do after every sack with his clear eye view shirt. So he was already thinking like that. I think he would have found a way to, to, to really make the most of, of what he had to offer. And he was also like, you know, one of our top recruits coming in, the top, one of the best recruits we'd had in some time mm-hmm. coming in, especially on the defensive side of the ball at that time. Uh, I also agree with Jimmy Clausen. I mean, the guy came to campus as a high school senior in a stretch limo and a fur coat with his like high school state championship rings on. So he definitely had that sort of aura about him. Um, and, and I'm also going to go with Jeff Samarja here. because like Jeff Samarja, two sport athlete, um, Obviously, one of the more popular receivers in the game at that time, and he also had baseball going for him. I think Samarja would have had a very marketable um, you know, uh, personality there. And then my honorable mention uh, is Tom Zivikowski. Uh, I know that if I saw Isaiah Foskey came out with sweatshirts, if Tom Zivikowski was doing that back in the day, there's no doubt in my mind that 8-year-old Luke Smith wouldn't <laughs> have worn that sweatshirt every day at recess and trying to imitate the USC punt return. So I'm sure that, you know, maybe that was just a market for 8- or 9-year-olds from the northwest suburbs of Chicago, but uh, he, he definitely was a role model for a lot of kids back then, and I think he would have had quite a bit of power that way too so that's that's where i'm at but it's hard to argue with any of those i actually had a tough tommy boxing club that was sold by fanatics which is kind of crazy now like that they were selling those shirts and tommy didn't see a cent but um let's shift from former players to future players and talk some recruiting mike Notre Dame just capped off an unprecedented month um after the year-long dead period was lifted on june 1st in just four weeks, Notre Dame hosted, I think it was 36 official visits, over 100 unofficial visits in eight camps before another dead period started. So all in all, how do you think Notre Dame handled such a chaotic month? Man, that, that sounds like some numbers that Mike Singer wrote. So, Tyler, you're, you're, you're clearly doing your homework <laughs> oh, there. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a really good June. Um, one thing that was interesting and – you know, in, in my line of work, it, it always fascinates me, like just how much people confide in me. I'm like, do you, you do know my job is to report rumors and stuff and you're still giving me this stuff. It, it amazes me all the time, but people still confide in me. Um, and, and obviously a lot of what I hear, I, I'm not able to share. But this is one thing that I have been saying, you know, in talking to so many different people, whether it was recruits who visited the first weekend or the third weekend or their parents or, or whatever have you. People felt that from Brian Kelly at the very top to the intern student who's just driving a golf cart from point A to point B, that everyone was forward facing on the same mission, um, same message in that these visit weekends were just so 
well put together because it was truly like a family. And, you know, from, you know, Oregon State to Alabama, everyone's going to try to pitch family atmosphere and all that stuff. But like, and I, I've covered Oregon State, like, so I, I'm not just throwing that school out there because um, it was the first thing I thought of, like, I've covered a bunch of different schools, you know, before this dream beat for me covering the Fighting Irish. And um, I, I quite haven't heard things that were discussed about the Notre Dame visit weekends that I have before, just like that defensive coaching staff with O'Leary and Mickens and Freeman and Chad Bowden, uh, Mike Elston. I mean, that is a family unit. And, and that's like really felt with these recruits and families. So, you know, Notre Dame gets an A plus for that. Um, you know, it's really tough when you have a coaching staff and like everyone thinks they're the best. And this, I mean, this is everywhere. I mean, every coach out there thinks that they're, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Everyone's got an ego. Um, but like this staff, I think, did a really good job um, kind of putting those aside and, and like gelling together as a unit. Um, so I don't know if that's what you were looking for, for, for answering that question, but that's what I got, you know, like we, we, we can talk about specific recruiting weekends or, or battles or prospects themselves, but it was kind of like looking at it from 10,000 feet down. Um, that's, that was kind of one of my big takeaways is just like how, how much that, um, that stuff's gelling right now and put on some really good weekends. I actually um, had a, uh, had somebody send me an itinerary from like, this is what Notre Dame sends the the, the players and their families. So I, I saw the itinerary from, you know, Friday morning to, you know, Sunday morning when they leave and like every minute's accounted for all really good stuff. Um, they pack in a lot of fun activities and presentations and whatnot. So uh, I was impressed. Yeah, and, and I'm going to press a little bit here because you talked about just kind of how that defensive staff seems to be gelling. It's only been a few months, but new defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman has certainly made his presence felt on the recruiting trail. Um, I mean, he hasn't even coached a single down of football yet, and some people are already hoping he's the eventual replacement for Brian Kelly. So from what you've been able to see, what makes him so effective as a recruiter? I'd say his energy. You know, I got to do a 30-minute exclusive interview with him um, and we've been rolling out some of those interviews at blueandgold.com, including one that, I don't know if it went viral, but our page views were through the roof. And it was him talking about his future at Notre Dame. Um, so make sure to check that out at blueandgold.com. Um, but yeah, I, I think his energy, um, you, you look at him, he was a great player at Ohio State, had a cup of coffee in the NFL before. Um, I believe it was a spine or some neck injury that he couldn't keep playing NFL. So when you're talking to a player, if you're a coach about life after football, Marcus Freeman can say, I played at Ohio state. I got a degree from there. Um, like, but football is not last forever. And an Ohio state degree is fine. But I mean, I, I bet Marcus Freeman wish he had an, a Notre Dame degree you know, more than Ohio state. Right. I mean, just, you know, of course, Freeman's been doing pretty good for himself, but like, I'm sure that's part of his pitch, right? I mean, you know, you, you just don't know how long football's going to go. Even if you play in the NFL for 15 years, you got to do something afterwards. And, and that's where Notre Dame degree can, can help you out. I mean, the, you play in the NFL for three years. That's, that's really good money, but that's not going to last you for the rest of your life. You have to do something afterwards. So he does a really good job selling the university, um, 
you know, that he took the job of, for, for Notre Dame over LSU because he felt like he can sell it and he truly believed in it. Um, he would never say this, but I feel like he probably regrets picking Ohio State over Notre Dame, you know, like when he was a recruit. That's just conjecture for me. If any Ohio State fans are listening, they're probably going <laughs> to yell at me on Twitter, but I don't know. I feel like he, he truly That's loves our breakout Notre video for sure. There you go. No, please don't <laughs> put that on Twitter. <laughs> please don't do your little soundbite of that one. I will not retweet it, but um, <laughs> I see Tyler writing that down. Yeah, Make sure you that's right next to Sunday Night Quarterback with Jack Cohn, the segment you pitched earlier. So thank you. You're just throwing out great Damn. ideas. Damn, yeah, you guys are killing me here. Uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, he, he's great. He closes well. Kids love him. He's got a great staff around him. Yeah, he's 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 a special coach. So we're going to look at the top now. When we talked to you last season, you mentioned how effective Brian Kelly is as a recruiter when he does it. And all Mm -hmm. the reports we've seen um, since the end of last season was that he's taken a much more active approach in recruiting this offseason, and it's showing. So what have you heard about Brian Kelly's impact on Notre Dame's recent recruiting surge? I would say that when Kelly was – people were talking about him not being as involved in the recruiting process. I would say that was a stretch. Like he was recruiting more than people thought. And now if the, if the narrative is that Kelly is just killing it with every single recruit, I would probably say that was a stretch too. Like it's, it, I feel like in this business, the truth always just lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that makes He's sense. definitely, he's definitely recruiting more. Um, he's getting very personally involved in summer recruitments. Like Cyrus Moss is a, a huge defensive end target for Notre Dame. Um, out at Las Vegas, Bishop Gorman, um, I'm told that he has like, th- there's some things in his recruitment that Notre Dame is really working on. And Kelly has basically told the staff, like, I got this one, like th- I'm, I'm going to work really hard on, on this one. So, you know, certain recruitments that he is just coming in and, and, and dominating. Um, and, uh, I mean, now that the kids, when they take their visits, they're able to sit down with them in the office Kelly is really good in that setting. Um, I, I hear he's great texting the recruits, um, phone calls, all that stuff. But I will always say this when it comes to Brian Kelly, like it, it is on oftentimes that assistant coach, he has to get Kelly involved. And that's not like me saying like Kelly's lazy, but if Brian Kelly's got a lot of things on his plate as a Notre Dame head coach, like he can't focus on recruiting all day long. But if let's say John McNulty says, Hey, Brian, um, I don't know. You know what? I don't know what the Notre Dame coaches call him. Do they call him Mr. Kelly? It's his, I mean, that's their boss. But let's just say Brian, Hey, Probably Brian, Brian. Like, I got the tight end recruit. I'm trying to close on, you know, can you get on with them? I'm told Kelly is just like on it. Like he is just incredible on it. So if like, if I'm an assistant coach, I'm using Kelly literally as much as possible because he's really good in that setting. But again, you can't just expect Kelly um, to know what's going on with the 2024 tight end players, you know, like he's got a program to run at the same time. So long winded answer there, but hope it answered for you. Man, 2024. It's crazy that that's already where we're at, but oh yeah, uh, where does the no, time I wrote an yeah. interview on a 2024 kid just yesterday. I saw that. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, 
Something else, you know, he might not get the same publicity that Marcus Freeman does, but Mike Elston has clearly done a phenomenal job on the recruiting trail as well. And he recently took over the role of recruiting coordinator from Brian Polian. Um, so what can you tell us about the job that he's done, not just with the defensive line, which is his position group, but by leading the operation at large? Yeah, there's definitely been some creative stuff in there. Um, you know, the pot of gold where they uh, offered I believe it was th- about 30 to 35 new players in the 2023 class. And then they had, they had already offered another 30 that they got in contact with. So that was a really neat thing um, for Notre Dame to win St. Patrick's Day. Um, that certainly seems like for Notre Dame more than a holiday that they should just tweet out, you know, happy St. Patrick's Day. Like they should use it to their advantage. I mean, I would contest that we won that day and then lost it with those brutal twitter videos of the coaches dancing oh like, tyler that was so bad oh tyler i completely disagree are you kidding me <laughs> oh man that was amazing. i'm going to stay out of this <laughs> and then Sean Crawford responded and then Kelly did another oh that was incredible yeah all right i guess it files under the all publicity is good publicity because that was a tough watch. I don't know if I made it through the whole video. I'm Tyler, I was going to compliment you on your nice, long, flowing hair that you have now. <laughs> California cool guy. And now we're not cool anymore, bro. Ouch. I love those videos. I, I, I'm i not going to lie. I think I watched the, the, the video like 30 times. Like, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> what was I talking about before, though? I, oh, Elston. Elston. Um, yeah, he, he has a sustained success. Um, like he just churns out dudes recruits so well. Um, he, he's not ever behind. All right. I mean, look like at the 2023 class. I know we'll touch on Brennan Vernon, like first two commits for the Irish in that 2023 class of so guys going in their junior of high school are both DNs. Uh, like he is, he, he's really good. He can find that hidden gem or he can go get, you know, five-star type players, Dalen Hayes, Brennan Vernon, you know, or again, like a, a three-star Audio Gandeji, and he's going to turn those guys out to the NFL. So love Mike Elston. Freeman's getting, you know, all the credit in the world. And again, I, I think that, you know, when right now when he is, you know, uh, Jesus incarnate to Notre Dame fans, for me, I'm kind of like, let's pump the brakes a little bit. And then when Florida State, you know, scores a, a touchdown, you know, then Freeman's going to turn into Satan to Notre Dame fans, right? I mean, then I'm going to be like, all right, let's pump the brakes on that. Truth yeah. is always going to be somewhere in the middle, at least for me. Uh, and that's how I'm going to see it. But Elston is the one right now that I feel like is probably not getting enough love. And, uh, you know, I think he deserves it. Yeah, the sustained, sustained success is a good way of putting it. I mean, I think he's the only guy that's been on Kelly's staff since the beginning of his yep. tenure at Notre Dame, which is – Really impressive in itself, but no, I, I like that way Quinn. of looking at it. Oh, no, Quinn took Buffalo. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then Polian took Nevada. So, yeah, yeah, Elston just been there. Yeah. yeah. So we haven't really gotten into a ton of specifics on the class of 22 yet. As it stands, they have 18 commitments in the class. As of today, they're ranked number two on Rivals.com. But as you explained before, a lot of the rankings has to do with the number of commitments, and Notre Dame just simply has a lot more guys committed than most schools. So that number is likely to change. But as it stands, how would you assess this class overall? It's really good. I mean, I think you got to start at defense. The, the D-line's really good. Aiden Gobira, uh, Darren Agu, Tyson Ford, really strong group of DNs. Donovan Heinish is, is a solid D-tackle. If you talk about a player comp for him, it's Kurt Heinish, right? I mean, it just kind of makes sense. So a, a really good group there. 
The linebackers are incredible. Josh Burnham, Nolan Ziegler, a couple four-star linebackers from Michigan, both share the same birthday of St. Patrick's Day, um, which is uh, certainly interesting. That's the day Burnham committed Notre Dame um, earlier this year. Nuafe Tui Halamaka, big-time linebacker. Uh, the defensive backfield strong. Jaden Mickey, a corner. Jaden Bellamy is a corner slash safety. Devin Moore, Notre Dame's uh, most recent commitment, I believe. Yeah, uh, you know, big time, 6'3", 180 pound, All-American DB, Alabama, Florida, all these offers. So defensive class is really strong. And then I keep seeing things like, well, I, I think the defensive staff should go help out the offensive staff in recruiting because they're not doing too good. And then I'm just thinking, all right, let, let's just go through this. Steve Angeli, Under Armour All-American, offers from Oregon, Stanford, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, like four-star guy. Like That's not bad. The first quarterback Notre Dame offered in the 2022 class, they got him pretty good. Jadarian Price, you know, four-star guy, Stanford, Ohio State, Texas offers. Um, I think he's an Under Armour All-American. <laughs> Jaden, Pry- I mean, Jadarian Price, he's a really darn good back. Notre Dame missed out on their quote-unquote big three and, and saw Chuck Hayden and Singleton. Um, but um, that's, a, that's a pretty good back, Jadarian Price. Uh, don't, don't sleep on him. Look at the receiver spot. Amorian Walker, Under Armour All-American, picked up offers from Alabama and LSU. He committed to Notre Dame as a three-star without any big-time powerhouse offers. But Notre Dame saw something in him before everyone else did. So, you know, kudos to them. The tight end commits. Holden stays former Penn State commit, four-star player. Eli Raritan, 6'6", 225 pounds, big-time guy. Uh, offensive lineman, Ty Chan, Under Armour All-American. Joey Tanoana, All-American Bowl commit. Ashton Craig, uh, offers from Michigan, Iowa, Nebraska, um, and someone that Notre Dame saw in person, uh, liked and offered. Um, so I would say of that entire offensive class, if you're going to be like, ding Notre Dame for one guy, it's Ashton Craig, which is the only guy that they've worked out in person or evaluated in person um, because that dead period happened so long. So. That's the entire class rundown in about five love minutes. It. Yeah, no, I love that. Now, I'm curious, what's been the biggest surprise to you so far from a recruiting standpoint? Wow, I, I can go a lot of different ways with that. Is there a certain way you want me to take that? Um, you know, I guess I was thinking really, I guess, kind of as it relates to that class specifically. Um, it can be either a positive or negative surprise, but just kind of curious what sticks out to you and you just weren't expecting it to go that way. I mean, I, I try not to be surprised with recruiting because it's always surprising, if that makes sense. It's kind of like yeah. expect the unexpected. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, you, you've thumped me there. I, I can kind of go at some micro examples. Like I, I thought Notre Dame was going to land one of those big three backs. I talk about Nicholas Singleton picked Penn state, Gavin Sawchuk picked Oklahoma and then Dallin Hayden picked Ohio state, you know, Notre Dame finished second in all those recruitments. And, you know, going into June, I was like, just a math equation here. Notre Dame's in the top two for three guys. They got to get one of them <laughs> to join Jadarian price. And, and they, they whiffed on all three. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, Nicholas Anderson is a receiver out in Texas. He picked Oregon over Notre Dame. That was a surprise. Um, and then I'll give you, so there's a couple negative surprises. I'll give you a positive one. Jaden Bellamy, that, uh, versatile DB commit who I talked about earlier, 
He was everyone thought he was going to Penn State. I think even Notre Dame thought he was going to Penn State, to be honest with you. And when he called to commit in June um, and then announced it uh, July 2nd, I, I think Notre Dame even was a little taken back that they didn't think they were going to get him. And then they did. So, um, yeah, I don't have any like big picture surprises that I, I, I can think of off the top of my head, but there's a few mm-hmm. kind of smaller examples. Yeah, no, that that's all good, and, and I think that that's seems to echo a lot of sentiments from that I've heard around things. But the only other question, I guess, then uh, within that class of twenty twenty two, who are the top guys left on the board there for Notre Dame? Yeah, uh, receiver is is a huge one because they only have Walker committed right now. Uh, C.J. Williams is the number twenty nine player in the country per rivals, just on the borderline of five star status. Final. Group is uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, Stanford, Texas, and USC. So that's a pretty good final five. Notre Dame, I mean, I don't want to say needs to, but uh, yeah. They need to. I'll say Yeah, (laughs) they basically, I mean, is Notre Dame football going to be really darn good and survive if C.J. Williams doesn't pick Notre Dame? Yes, but it's pretty close to a need. Um, C.J. Williams, Tobias Merriweather is another big-time receiver on the West Coast. He's from uh, Washington. Um, You know, that's a huge target for Notre Dame. So Irish need to get three or four big-time receivers in this class. Um, There I go saying need, but we'll just say need for the heck of it. But, yeah, and you got to secure and hold on to Marion Walker. Like I mentioned earlier, got Alabama and LSU offers. That's kind of the pinnacle for a kid down in Louisiana. Um, so receivers really important O-line Notre Dame's in the mix for some big time guys, Emil Wagner from Ohio, Billy Shrouth from Wisconsin, Zach Rice is a five-star guy from Virginia. Really think Notre Dame about to say needs again. We'll just keep saying it needs to land one of those guys. Staff would love to land two. If all three want to come, that'd be a great problem for Jeff Quinn, but uh, that would be a shock. So I think Notre Dame, again, get one of those guys uh, for a strong O-line class. Uh, and then, you know, linebacker wise, Jalen Sneed, um, a guy who I think should be or will be a five star player. Um, I think Notre Dame should get good news from him pretty soon. Uh, talked about Cyrus Moss earlier, defensive end that Brian Kelly's working on. Uh, he's a big one. Anthony Lucas is an interior defensive lineman, the Fighting Irish are after. And then in the secondary, um, Xavier Nwankba is a safety from Iowa, borderline five star guy. And Benjamin Morrison, a four-star from Arizona. Um, think Notre Dame's going to get Morrison um, and have a better shot than most think for Nwampa. Notre Dame already made a big splash in the class of 2023, getting a commitment from five-star DN Brendan Vernon out of Menor, Ohio. I like to joke that the best football is played in Northeast Ohio because it is, but Ohio State clearly has a stronghold on their home turf, and for a while I think everyone thought that was where uh, Vernon would end up. So take us through his recruitment and uh, how he ended up committing to Notre Dame. Yeah, everyone thought he was going to Ohio State, except for, like, I don't know, Brandon Vernon didn't get the message. And you, um, was he a future cast Notre Dame guy? I would have liked to, but I was uh, told not to. Okay. <laughs> Just say that. But we're going to give you credit here. I, I was definitely, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to pat myself on the back because I'm wrong all the time, but... I, I've been I'd been saying since like April, like this guy is not a lock to Ohio State. Um, in May, Notre Dame really turned it up with him. Um, and then uh, he visited uh, the first weekend of June. That's the point I would have put in a, a pick for him to go to Notre Dame. But, you know, I, 
I, I don't want to get into it, but I, I didn't. I, I've got my reasons. And um, oh, I think Ohio State just always felt like they were going to get him. And, and, but the thing, and then he visited the last weekend of June um, and announced shortly afterwards, he basically, you know, gave that commitment to Notre Dame that weekend and then announced it, uh, you know, the next week. Thing about Notre Dame, and I mentioned earlier, I've only been covering the program for a couple of years, so I, I'm learning it, and and certainly love covering the Fighting Irish. There, there's so much that just makes it a special school to cover. But the one thing I, I learned about Notre Dame is that if a kid gets on campus, you can't count out Notre Dame because there's just kids that go there and they get it. Brennan Vernon is a perfect Notre Dame fit. He did not want to go to a 50,000 student school like Ohio State. He's a low-key kid. He doesn't really like the media spotlight. Um, he, he cares about more than football. He wants to get to know non-football players. What school does that sound like it's going to fit? Maybe a school that you don't, you know, like you have to dorm with non-students. Like that is all fitting Brendan Vernon perfectly. And then you throw on top of it that, uh, the Notre Dame staff had the idea to um, buy uh, vans. I was waiting for that. I yeah. was hoping you. So this is a up. great idea. I, I want to say it was Marcus Freeman's idea. They the, the staff did their homework, which I'm sure it wasn't that hard to just go into social media profiles, and he just loves vans. Like it's it's a big thing. So I want to say Freeman came up with the idea. I don't want to discredit Elson Fuzza's idea, but you know whatever. Um, whoever gets the credit. They, they deserve a ton because the whole staff was decked out in yellow vans, which were kind of ugly to me, but Hey, Brendan Vernon liked it and it got his, if it helped get his commitment, that's all that matters. So um, that, that was a pretty neat thing. Um, and that surprised uh, Brendan Vernon. Yeah. The eventual statue of Freeman better have vans included <laughs> in it. That's all I'm saying. No, that's going right, to be a story yeah. like that's yeah. going to be told for a long time. If, you know, I, I can already see, you know, uh, or hear the, the NBC broadcast talking about how Brendan Vernon's commitment to Notre Dame came together. That's awesome. All right, before we let you go, we wanted to give you the chance to tell everyone a little bit about the Lusamagi Memorial Scholarship that was established in Lou's memory. Um, we talked about his passing before on the show and how much we enjoyed reading him over the years, and we know how much he meant to you and the rest of the team at Blue and Gold. So tell us all about it and um, how our listeners can get involved. Yeah, so um, definitely a great scholarship um, in, in honor of my, uh, my my friend and and late colleague. So um, this is the order of priority um, that it benefits. First, South Bend area students who transfer to Notre Dame from Holy Cross College, which Lou did, um, which I think is awesome. Any student who transferred to Notre Dame um, from Holy Cross, um, so that aren't South Bend, and then any Notre Dame student that has a financial need. So our parent company, a Blue and Gold Cohen Publishing Company, set this up, I want to say, two day, two or three days after Lou's um, passing. So um, Lou loved both institutions, obviously, with Notre Dame and Holy Cross College. So um, you can go to blueandgold.com, and the information um, is there. You can donate online. You can also call 574-631-5150. Um, you can mail your donation. All that information is at blueandgold.com. That's awesome. And I'm obviously going to always hold a special place in my heart for kids that endure that year at Holy Cross and eventually make it over across the streets to Notre Dame. So be sure to check that out. It's a great cause in honor of a great guy. And uh, if you're not following Mike on Twitter already, you should at rivals underscore singer and subscribe to all the great work by him and the rest of the team over at blueandgold.com. They've got a YouTube page and uh, obviously blue and gold illustrated. So Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Talk to you soon.
All right. Fun, guys. Take care. Take care. And that was Mike Singer, and uh, that's the show pretty much. You know, uh, I think we got some pretty excited stuff coming here in the next couple weeks. Uh, looking to kind of ramp things up here as we get about a month closer to the season. So look forward to that. But for now, don't forget to, to rate, subscribe, and, and review. Um, and we'll talk to you next time.